there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. A doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. No, your ears are not deceiving you. It is Advanced Medicine, uh, the special holiday edition Memorial Day weekend here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. I am broadcasting live from uh, Charlotte area. And, Dr. Batar, you tell me I'm in an area that they won't let you in. What, what, where am I? I've got a wedding to go to. What's going on? Well, it's, I'm just not risky enough like you are. I'm not the fancy, <laughs> fancy, fancy person that you are, Robert. They won't let people like us in the South Park because, you know, well, <clears throat> that's just too. Uh, those people talk like this and they spend most of their time <laughs> in the golf courses, if you get my drift. <laughs> Good Lord. I think I think the NASCAR crowd has overwhelmed even them this weekend. Apparently there's a race in town, so they, I snuck in under that. I mean, I've got bedhead. I've got a T-shirt on. I'm just kicking back here in South Park in a courtyard in a Marriott, but it's not a, it's not a Marriott courtyard. It's technically a real courtyard, so we're having a great time here. Uh, this weekend, you well, just even got NASCAR, back from even the even the NASCAR people aren't allowed in there. Right? So you you know you're really up there. Maybe I'm maybe I'm hanging out with some doctors and pharmaceutical dunderheads. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. That's like I think it's because of Robert Scott Bell. You know, taking the world by a storm type of thing. You're a celebrity there. So. <laughs> Well, it's just a wedding, just a wedding, and, and there's a Coast Guard wedding involved, so I think that they paved the way, even though they're usually on the sea. But here we are doing advanced medicine today, and you just got back from the Ukraine, and we were on with you last week. You were talking a lot about these uh, these water mineral-type baths. You had a technical term for what kind of medicine that is. I thought maybe there's some other things you've learned since then about how critical those minerals are. Well, balneotherapy is something that has been, uh, it's a Greek term, um, that basically applies to the use of water as a therapeutic uh, modality when used for bathing. And then they have another similar type of term, and that's for, uh, I don't remember the exact term, uh, but it's using when you use uh, seawater for the same type of therapy. And apparently the use of these mineral-rich bathing therapeutics has gone way, way beyond um, you know, recorded time. I mean, it goes back thousands of years. And I'll tell you, it's such a interesting thing when you go to a different culture and you see how mainstream something is when at home it's never even been heard of. So this concept of yes. sanatoriums, you know, I've never even heard of a sanatorium. I always thought of sanatoriums. Does it sound like something that an insane person would go to, like a sanatorium? Sure. Yeah. You know, we have those concepts or it may, somebody might say sanitation. They think it's the, the garbage dump. But no, a sanatorium was a place people really went to, to get healthy uh, via mm-hmm. holistic methods. They didn't even have the term holism necessarily. We had to create that once we went into molecular reductionism and collectivism in terms of how we would treat patients in medicine. But the idea, as you say, is as old as, as uh, recorded history. Yeah, exactly. And they have many of these uh, sanatoriums, they have the the thought process is that after a person goes through any type of surgery or any type of uh, intense therapy, like say chemo, the yes. convalescent portion is done at a sanatorium. So they are working in conjunction. It's it's like the it's like a pre-op. We have pre-ops here in the United States. Before you go into operation, you have a pre-operative evaluation. 
and you have a post-operative evaluation. It's actually the pre-operative evaluation is a big thing, more so than a post-operative. But in the Ukraine and Russia, it seems to be a post-operative. There's a concentration of the post-operative period to help the patient recover. And so it's a normal, conventional thought process that you have surgery, then you go to a sanatorium afterwards. And they have them everywhere, and, and they're very well-respected. Um, and more importantly, they, they have a very long history of being in business. They first find a water source. They test the water source, and if the water source is right, then and only then do they then start putting in the infrastructure that's necessary with the housing, with the food, with the, you know, the, the pools and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting how it's all set up, and it all revolves around the water. Did you tell me that you actually got to soak in uh, silicon-rich waters as well while you were over there? Absolutely, and um, I believe that, um, God willing, sooner rather than later, we will have a facility in conjunction with this particular place uh, where we will be able to be able to provide all our treatments that we provide here in the States. And uh, it is very rich in silica. That is actually what they're known for. They, they pump the water out of a thermal, um, naturally, naturally uh, heated thermal aquifer, I guess you call it. And sure. it's 640 meters, which would be about 1,920 feet below surface that they pump this water up. And it is... Um, renowned for its silica content and its low salinity. So a lot of these waters are higher in salinity, and so to dispose of the water makes it difficult because you can't pump it into a natural uh, water. Um, oh, yeah, you, you, you can put too put, much of a, a saline solution, you can destroy the ecosystem there. So you're right. You, ex- having a low salinity, silicon-rich water means that you can use it and let it flow out with no harm. Exactly, and it goes right into a beautiful river and the gardens and all the different things that they've done. This, in fact, this facility, Robert, was started in 1692. The first, the the first record of the first building at the site used as a sanatorium was 1692. So this is pretty amazing that this is over 350 year old facility, and um, the, the 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 water that I took, I didn't really feel that much of a difference when I got into that particular water. Although mm-hmm. afterwards, when I got out, I noticed. Two things. I noticed clarity, and I noticed my skin just felt different. It just felt silky. Yes. And the then there was another um, place that I went to um, where we stayed for a couple of days. And in that place, the first time I got into that particular pool, I ended up having some difficulty. I had some chest discomfort, and I was told by one of the people that was there with us that you are not supposed to move around in this water. You're just supposed to sit there. You're not even supposed to swim. You're not supposed to, you know, mess around. Just uh-huh. to stay there. But by, by my third day, I had no problem, and I was actually able to swim and everything and do fine. But the first okay. day, I could feel something happen. So, the, 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 you know, people would think, well, how could this bathing in something have that much of a significance? But you actually absorb a tremendous amount of water when you bathe uh, through your skin. People oh, yeah. Don't no, we, that. We, we've talked about the, you know, the, the need for purification. For instance, if you bathe in tap water or take a shower, to have some form of a filter system because the chlorine, the fluoride, different things that they add to it, much less the other messes that are left in, will absorb through the skin. We also uh, are very big fans of a topical form of ease magnesium that's micronized to the point of easy uh, assimilation through the skin as well. So we are designed by God to as well get our minerals through the skin. Absolutely. In fact, Many of the evaluative methods of whether or not you have enough minerals uh, in your body are done so by how well the mineral is absorbed through your skin. In fact, iodine is one that's typically tested mm-hmm. that way. And when you put iodine on your skin, uh, it, and if it's 
if your body's deficient in iodine and it's sucked up within a certain amount of time, then you know, and you look at your arm and that, that there's no blue or purple color there, then you right. know the iodine has been uh, sufficiently absorbed and that means that your body needs more iodine, whereas if the iodine still shows up after a few hours, then you know that your body's okay with iodine. Exactly, exactly. So I, I'm just fascinated by this trip you took. Of all the things you, we get to talk about on and off the air, you are genuinely excited about some of these discoveries and what they're going to mean to our uh, presentations here with Advanced Medicine. Absolutely. I, I'm very, very excited about the implications on people's health and, and bring this knowledge to the rest of the world because I don't think a lot of our listeners may be aware of it. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, this is something that we, we we like to say that we're always one step ahead or ten steps ahead, and in many ways we are, but sometimes there's the, the old world stuff that we have never been exposed to here in the West that you go out around the world, I've been around the world, and we go, whoa, that's a form of medicine that's been going on for thousands of years? I'd never heard of that. Yeah, it's like calling acupuncture alternative when it's been around you know, for 5,000 years. So mm-hmm. just because we become aware of it now doesn't mean that it's, a, it's an alternative. It just basically means that it's something that we weren't aware of. And now one day, hopefully soon, this is going to increase even more so. But we've just now become aware of it and we're bringing it to other people's attention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, there are, there are other things that we talk about from water to sun, sun therapy, the ability to expose the skin to sun, adequate sun each day seems to have a tremendous benefit, and there are now uh, news stories going around the world about how sunscreen is being linked to cancer, how the absence of sun exposure is being linked to cancer. It's something that you've observed in your practice as well, and now suddenly it's making the rounds as if it's like we've always known this. Yeah, we, we talked about this, what, five years ago, six years ago, and this was one of the first, probably in the first year, year and a half that we were on the air, Robert, we covered this about how bad uh, blocking the, the sun skews and they're blocking some of the beneficial uh, light frequencies that we need and how that's related to cancer. In fact, vitamin D and sunlight, lack of sunlight exposure and lack of vitamin D is a very big correlation, not just with the absorption of calcium through the gut, but also it's that associated with uh, uh, abnormal calcium absorption and uh, then secondarily down the stream uh, causing cancer. So uh, calcium, vitamin D, and sunlight are essential to prevent cancer. And we're not talking about calcium. Calcium in the wrong areas is pathognomonic for, for pathogenesis, but calcium in the right areas, that's, that's a healthy thing. We need to do that. We need to have healthy calcium absorption, not abnormal calcium absorption, which can then lead to calcifications in other parts of the body. And as you know, with cancer especially, but also heart disease, it's the abnormal deposition of calcium in the wrong places. When you look at old granular tumor disease, when you look at lung cancer, when you look at breast cancer, in fact, when they're doing mammograms, they're looking for calcifications because it's abnormal calcium metabolism. So when you start looking at sunscreen, you start looking at the association with sunscreen and what it really does. Um, I have never used sunscreen just because I never saw the point of using sunscreen and I wanted to get a tan when I went out there, but people that are light skin, like my wife would always use sunscreen. And we have completely right. gone to different ways now. When, what the, the, people say, well, what are you supposed to do? Well, the first thing to do is limit your sun exposure. If you burn that easily, then, you know, yep. just go out and that's one thing. Then other, there's other things you can use natural ways, uh, using zinc and, uh, and uh, coconut oil. And there's all sorts of different natural components that people can use. But definitely using the use of sunscreen is directly associated with cancer and not just melanoma, many different types of cancer. People seem to think basal cell carcinoma and melanoma is the, the things that are associated with over sun exposure. And that is absolutely not true. It's actually um, any type of cancer can be associated with not enough sunlight and not enough vitamin D and not, uh, not proper calcium metabolism. 
Absolutely well said, Dr. Batar. Dr. Batar is available. Those of you who are not used to listening to Advanced Medicine because we're here on a special edition Memorial Day weekend, you can go to Dr. Batar, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. Also, uh, in addition to our archive sites that are plentiful, including at GCN and at robertscottbell.com and on UK Health Radio, you can go to medicalrewind.com, medicalrewind.com. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, of hours of great advanced medicine discussions here on the air. Occasionally, we take calls from you as well as answer your questions that you submit. We've got a number of questions we're going to try and get to this hour, uh, including from uh, on parasitic worms and diabetes. So stick with us. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Right, honoring those who uh, gave the ultimate uh, to uh, protect our liberty here on Memorial Day weekend on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Rasha Batar, also uh, uh, former Army and uh, has done a lot in the armed, sir, armed forces, if you will, and does a lot to strengthen our immune systems, your immune systems, everybody that listens to this show around the world. Dr. Batar, we have a question coming in from... Uh, Eric. Eric says, hey, Dr. Bell, hey, Dr. Batar, I've been treating parasitic worms for the past 13 weeks. I should mention I am seeing results daily. I, I imagine seeing means more than we want to know, but you should know. Question is, would you recommend going to a medical doctor to rid the worms faster and more efficiently because I'm tired of being on a strict diet and consuming anti, uh, I don't know what he means by finals. I think there's another I word. I think probably there, virals. Virals, probably the, virals or, yeah, yeah. Something that's anti-parasitic, uh, but Eric's asking that question, and uh, if you're seeing evidence of, uh, of success, uh, you know, we don't say don't see a, a medical doctor, but certainly if you do, you'd want one trained in a hopefully less toxic approach to getting rid of parasites. Well, Robert, I, uh, during the break when we were talking about which questions we were going to answer, I, I told you I think this is going to be a good one to cover, and I was thinking the same thing as you were, that we should cover this question in this part of the segment, because... Mm-hmm. I personally would disagree with you and say that, no, you should not see a medical doctor because I don't know if any physicians are, that, that really look at worming a human being. We worm our animals. Any farmer knows the importance of worming their livestock. Anybody who owns dogs and cats knows the importance of worming their cats or their dogs. In Europe, they do worm people, but here in the United States, we don't deworm people. So my first thing that I would say to this person, uh, Eric, and I hope, uh, Eric, you're listening, because I would like for you to send in whatever you're doing to Robert and I so we can kind of see it, because I'm always looking for better ways of deworming humans. There's many different things, all the way from Dr. Halder Clark and her protocols with the zappers and the wormwood and all that, the Armesian, to um, other things that you can find on the Internet. Some of these things work, some of them don't work. So I'm always looking to improve our deworming, and I don't say anti-parasitic protocol, I say deworming to make sure De-wor- people understand yeah, what we're talking about. Straight up, yeah, right? Exactly, because I mean, they are, there are many things that are, that are parasitic, but with the helmets and the worms, you know, there's a specific type of parasite. So you have protozoa that, 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 that are unicellular or multicellular parasites, but these are small things. You, don't, you can't see them in the naked eye. But worms, when you look in the helmets itself, you know, and they, they're larger. They have—I don't want to say they have more of an impact, but they sometimes people have worms for their entire life, and they don't even know how sure. those those helmets are causing many of their nutritional deficiencies. In fact, 
some of the mineral and nutrient deficiencies that humans have, I believe, because the parasites acquiring these nutrients, that's why we are in a constant and chronic deficit of these nutrients. So please send in whatever protocol you're on, because I'd like to compare it to some of the things that we are doing. Probably it's something that we're familiar with, but we never know. We are always looking to, to improve our results and our efficacy. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is chances are if you go to your doctor, um, and again, I don't want to label everybody this way. I think Robert's answer was much more politically sound and correct than mine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say but, that, but go ahead. Yeah, but I, I don't. I would not go to a medical doctor, and the simple reason is because they're not going to want know anything about this. And two, if they know, chances are that their knowledge base is far more limited than yours already. Your 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 knowledge base is going to be much greater. And thirdly, there's always the potential. And this is more than likely because doctors, if they don't understand something, will minimize it and say, no, nah, no, nah, it's not an issue. Or, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Well, you think you're a dog? Or, you mean you'd be dewormed? So you're already ahead of the curve there. Um, and the last thing I'd like to say on this subject is when you say that you want to do something faster and you're tired of doing all these things like the strict diet and whatever else you're doing, please understand that the reason you're getting these results is because you are on that strict diet and because all the components that are necessary with being dewormed or, or detoxification as a general, they're not necessarily easy. They, when I say they're not easy, I don't mean that they're difficult, like taking chemo on the body or something like that, which is, you know, obviously deleterious. But I, what I mean is it takes time. It's, not so, it's easy in the sense that it's easy to go through, perhaps, but it's not mm-hmm. easy in the sense that the logistical components and the time that's necessary to invest in doing it properly and the dietary restrictions, et cetera, et cetera, that's not necessarily easy. So the reason that you're seeing daily results is because you're doing it right. So don't it, it, make no, the mistake. It, I was just going to say the discipline needed to carry it all the way through because uh, many times people don't have a guide that lets them know that they're on the right course, even though he's indicating to us, Eric is, that he may be, in fact, because he's seeing evidence of that. But sometimes, you know, it's not like we're against consulting with someone who knows more about this. But as you point out, it's likely not going to be a medical doctor. Why does Dr. Batar speak like this? Well, read his book. You'll understand. It's called The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, right? Because he knows. <laughs> All right, folks. we got special edition here of Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Batar. Continuing after the break, we've got another question of the day. This time relates to diabetes in a two-year-old. We've got cancer doctors immorally pocketing uh, money from patients. That would never happen, would it? All right. We've got that and more coming up after this break. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Show. All right, just a real quick quote to honor those to put perspective this Memorial Day weekend on what this is all about. Those of you listening in the United States or from around the world that appreciate the high ideals of America. Not that we're always living up to them, but we're trying here. We're certainly trying here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. This is a quote from Thomas Jefferson. TJ says, a free people claim their rights as derived from the laws of nature and not as the gift of their chief magistrate. That's a Thomas Jefferson quote. Great one to to pay attention to when we talk about what is liberty, where is it derived from, not from government, but from God. And I know you appreciate that too, Rashid. Well, you know, it's amazing to me, these amazing quotes that Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, especially Thomas Jefferson, his yes. quotes are just amazing in that the insight and the ability to be appropriate 250 years or whatever it is now, maybe close to 300 years later, 
it just boggles my mind. Yeah, these 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 men were so learned. Uh, again, consciousness was different in many ways. There, we acknowledge that, but you don't dispose of the wisdom and insight just because some of the things they did wouldn't fit into today's society. Now, we've got another question of the day coming through from Dustin. He says, "Doc, I recently found out that my cousin's child, a boy who's age two, was diagnosed with diabetes. My immediate reaction was, that's BS. And then there's no reason for a child to have diabetes." I like his response. I mean, that's really getting to the heart of the matter. So he says, he continues here, Dustin. He says, I have my assumptions that his kid has not been eating the proper foods, lacks nutrition, and probably has a destroyed immune system with all the vaccinations that the child has probably received over the past two years. I'm sure you deal with this issue all of the time. I believe this can be fixed, but would require immediate intervention by the kiddo's parents. Need your advice or information or perspective so I can attempt to pass it on, Dustin. So, Dustin, I think he's on the right track, but the question is, can he reach the parents of this child who's been devastated in this way? Well, I think the first question, I, I like his attitude too, but, you know, unfortunately, it's not quite accurate. There, there are reasons that a child can end up getting diabetes because if he's been vaccinated, then that can cause, the, the mercury can cause, and the other adducts and toxins in there can cause uh, an autoimmune response that will cause the beta islet cells to uh, type one. be damaged. Yeah, the type 1, exactly. Is this type 2, he said? No, well, he's not differentiating, so I agree with you. My question would be to Dustin, is this diagnosis a type 1 or type 2? Because uh, as we know, the type 2 primarily uh, a mineral deficiency of chromium when we can see a reversal with the right form of chromium. But with type 1, we see a, an autoimmune response often facilitated, I believe, vaccine-induced as well. Right. The problem is this, is this is a child. Usually type 2 is considered adult onset diabetes. So it's a it's a insulin resistance issue that usually gets set up, you know, in late adolescent to early adulthood can sometimes even be later, um, you know, in the mid 20s, 30s. So if it's a child, usually it's not type 2. Usually it's always type 1. And I mean, more often than that not, early at two years of, yeah. of age. I agree. So again, yeah. reversing that is a, is as big a challenge as anything I've ever encountered when you have an autoimmune destruction of uh, the cells of the pancreas. Yeah, exactly. And so, so to say that, you know, it can't happen. In other words, yes, it's BS without, okay, it's not BS that he could get it. It's BS yeah. that he did get it. That it's, right. You know, usually it's an iatrogenic issue is my point, and I think that you and I are both in agreement with that. But um, the problem is that once, it's, once the damage has been caused, you know, you, what are you going to do about it? So then, then it's obviously cooling down the autoimmune reaction, detoxifying the body, getting things cleaned up, and then putting the child on the correct nutritional um, interventions and dietary interventions that can hopefully change over time and, and bring this back around. And it can be brought around and it hasn't been done many times. But in a two-year-old, it's not going to be the type 2. It's going to be uh, – if somebody made a type 2 diagnosis on a child that's two years old, that's just – I've never heard well, of that before. I mean, I, I'm not going to put it out of the realm of possibility just because of the abject mineral deficiencies occurring generationally now. But, again, we want more information from you, Dustin, so let us know. We'll do a follow-up with you on the air or maybe even off the air. Just uh, uh, mention it over at robertscottbell.com or leave a message at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. Now, let's go to an I told you so. We have a theme, but I'm on the road. You're on the road. It's a holiday weekend. We're not going to play the I told you so theme. But there's a, uh, a fantastic article that was like, really, where have you been, right? And it's all about cancer and sugar. And, in fact, the researchers are now linking a link, finding a link between sugar and some, they say, some cancers, not all, but some. And they're surprised by this, Dr. Bitsar. 
Hmm. It's um, they're finding a link between what now, Robert? Is that they're finding a link between sugar and some cancers. Oh, and they're just sugar not and sure. Some cancers. Yeah. 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 Sugar and so, I, I heard. I only heard link between, and then you cut out. And they said and cancer. So I was trying to figure out what, what that part of the part was. Yeah, sugar and cancer. So, wow, this is <clears throat> this is like having a deja vu off a of deja vu um, <laughs> because I think about what. Six or seven years ago, when we first started the show, we had a talk about this because something had come out. They were questioning this link between sugar and cancer. In fact, even when I was fighting the medical board, this whole thing, the oncologist, the only one oncologist they could find to testify against me, and I had three oncologists that testified on our behalf. The one oncologist against us said that this whole Dr. Buttar's thing about cancer um, being sugar-dependent is ludicrous. And what my statement had been is that cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. And he said that there was no scientific basis for that. So that's, I wrote down on a piece of paper during the, during the uh, trial to my attorney. I said, ask him, actually my exact words were, ask the idiot how a PET scan works. So my attorney <laughs> didn't know how a PET scan works. So he says, uh, uh, doctor, can you explain to me how a PET scan works? And he says, well, it's, uh, you know, it's a selective uptake of a radioisotope labeled uh, molecule. So I, so the attorney looks at me, and I write down a piece of paper. Ask him, what is that molecule? He goes, oh, well, it's a radioisotope labeled molecule. So the attorney looks at me again. I said, ask him, what is that radioisotope labeled molecule? And then the guy, you know, he, he asked, he goes, but can you explain to me? Okay, you said radioisotope labeled molecule, but what is that molecule? And he's like, um, it's a sugar molecule. <laughs> so, you know, glucose. Yes. So, I mean, when people make stupid statements like that now, so we know that this is how the entire PET scan works. In our show, six, seven years ago when we covered this, I referred back to years before a Stanford study that had come out maybe 10 years prior to that. So we're looking at like early 2000s, maybe mid-2000s, where they talked about a new scientific discovery that cancer was an obligate glucose metabolizer. Yet we were treating patients with this way before that, and this information was known by our predecessors before you and I were even born. So why are they doing more studies to substantiate studies that have already been done to substantiate things that were known 50 years ago? I mean, do we seriously have no other things to study but to study things that have already been established and still continue? This is like saying it has been associated that taking water when you're dehydrated will solve dehydration because the FDA would declare water as a drug if it's mm-hmm. used for somebody, if you declare this use as a, as, as a cure for dehydration. I mean, do we need a study for that? Even more is that when the researchers then say next that we're still confused by why this is the case, why water is <laughs> curing, right? That's what they're saying here. Well, yeah. we're just not sure this is, well, we're seeing it, but we're really, we're really confused by this. So don't be confused. There's no confusion. Cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer, as Dr. Batar has been reporting on this show, Advanced Medicine, for all the years we've been doing it. And for the scientific researchers to say, yeah, I think so, but we're not sure why, and we're not going to say it's true for all cancers. I mean, have you found a cancer cell that doesn't want more sugar than anything else? Exactly. And then here, while we're trying to figure out while we're trying to figure out why we're idiots and why we're so confused, let's continue to give the cancer patients Ensure, which is yes. you know what, ninety-five percent sugar. I mean, I'm being exaggerating here now, but yeah. I don't know how much sugar it is. And and continue to tell them the diet has no implications, and continue to eat whatever you want to eat. Right, exactly. Well, again, the minerals that are necessary for sugar metabolism, like chromium, are very important. As we talk about mineral deficiencies, that's going to become more and more important to the medical field once they figure this thing out. Will they embrace it? Probably not until they can convert a mineral to a drug, and then they'll go, oh, yes, we found the cure, and it's a synthetic form of something. But it will not work the same way 
our bodies are designed to receive these minerals. Of course, ingestion through food, and now as we've talked about with the balneotherapy, there is genuine absorption of minerals through these medicinal waters. Absolutely, Robert. And I think that the mineral um, replenishment is so critical to health. The more I see this, and again, you know, my history in medicine is not that of most doctors. Uh, you know, I was chairman of the American Board of Clinical Metal Toxicology for almost 10 years. And prior to that, I was on the board and served many years. I've been doing chelation for over 20 years in patients. I've done, you know, thousands and I mean, hundreds of thousands, actually over a million IV treatments now. Uh, many of those are chelation. Uh, I think it's 1.6 million IVs over the last 20, some 22 years, 23 years, whatever it has been. So I've got quite a basis of understanding how metals and minerals work. And even to this point in my life, I'm still amazed by how critical it is to have the right minerals. You and I were talking about right before the show about mm-hmm. the, the, some of this realization, actually a couple hours ago when we talked. You know, it, it's just amazing to me how critical and how dependent our systems are on minerals. And at some point I've even said, I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've probably heard me say in private conversations that I think that perhaps Mineral replacement is more essential than removal of metal toxicity. Have I said that to you before in private conversations? Yes, yes yeah. you have. And, and I, I agree in a sense because without the minerals, the, the removal is always hampered ultimately. In other words, the, the minerals are the key. Exactly, because when the, it's, it's almost like part of, the, part of the process is depletion of the minerals, but then you've got the metals that replenish those areas where the minerals have, it's, a, it's like the body needs minerals, but because it can't find any minerals, there's a greater uptake of metals, perhaps. And But the right. problem is that once those metals are in those spots that the minerals are needed as enzymatic cofactors to allow the metabolic processes to continue, when those metals are in place now and substituted for those minerals, it becomes so difficult to pull those metals out. And in order to pull those metals out, not only do you need chelators, but you need something to go back in place of those metals, right. i.e. the original minerals that should have been there, and so they become really critical. To give minerals is not going to knock those metals out of place. But to yes. give, to remove metals without minerals, you will not have results. You will actually cause more disease. And it's fascinating that, you know, the decline of health over the course of the 20th century on to today, a lot of it happened because of the demineralization of foods, whether it be whole grains that they found they could uh, remove all the minerals and replace it with white bleached flour, for instance. That set us on a course of devastating illness. And there are a lot of reasons in the 20th century that have, uh, you know, let's say contributed to cancer and other things. But the demineralization is as critical to anything because without the minerals, we can't counter the exposures, whether it be to toxins, heavy metals, or even radiational challenges that have increased over the years. That's exactly right, Robert. And it's not even the demineralization of the food. It's actually the raping of the soil so it's yep. been replenished from the nutrient content. Going to the source. You're right. Well, we're going to the source here each and every week. We do Advanced Medicine Special Edition today with Dr. Rasha Batar. Go to drbatar.com. It's linked up in the show notes. Also, his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Check it out. We've got a uh, brief moment of duh surrounding cancer doctors, but really important, we're going to discuss a 100-year-old drug and its potential for autism treatment. And it's linked in the notes. Check it out now. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rock in the health world through the power of radio. 
It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, real quick, we took a uh, call from Eric, pharmacist friend of ours, uh, about EM fields and smart meters. We're not, we don't have time to cover that subject, which is a very important subject on the air, but Dr. Batar and, and Super Don notch it. We, we need to revisit that. Uh, at a future time to talk about things to protect each of us if we're exposed to that. Uh, so thanks, Eric, for that call. A uh, quick moment of duh on the issue of cancer doctors immorally, uh, let's say, enriching themselves by the sale of what? Chemotherapy drugs? That's, I mean, there's not much more to say about that. They are. Oncologists that do chemo, they rush you into it, and, and it's, just, it's just horrible the way they take advantage of patients in a state of fear. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you want to add to that uh, before we drive into the the 100-year-old drug that they're now promoting for autism. Well, uh, if you're talking specifically about cancer, Robert, this is the basis of my statement that one day in the future, whether it's 50 years from now or 500 years from now, this time in history will be known as one of the most barbaric, if not the most barbaric, even more so than doing surgery on people while they're awake uh, in the history of medicine. And it'll be dis- it'll be determined by the way we treat cancer patients. You take a person that's already toxic, whose immune system's already compromised, and what do you do? You further compromise their immune system with additional toxicity, in the pretense of helping them, which which is going to guarantee their death. Whether it's sooner or later, it's it's you know we're not sure. You may yeah. get a temporary abstination from death, but it'll kill them because of you know we've even covered this on the show where where they have cardiac issues and other types of issues and recurrent cancers that come up. So. It, it, what doesn't kill you only serves to make you stronger, and that's what the chemo does. It, it Basically, because it doesn't kill the cancer, it doesn't get rid of the stem cells, it only furthers to mutate and adapt to make the cancer more adaptogenic and survivable, and the right. cancer ends up coming back more resilient. The patient, the host, it becomes weaker, of course, and the displacement of minerals we talked about earlier, even more devast- devastatingly uh, enhanced via the chemo that, that is brought in, the toxic chemicals. So, all right, let's move on to the final uh, story of the day here. Autism researchers are studying a 100-year-old drug as a, a potential cure. Oh, my gosh, they're calling it a cure. Now, what is this? They're talking about an antiparasitic drug. Interesting, we were talking about parasites earlier, called Suramin. That was made by the Bayer Company. It was in the pharmacopoeia and a regularly used drug in low doses. They're seeing benefit to children or patients with ASD. Now, as we look into what this drug is doing, it tells basically the cells that all is well. Everything is good. The coast is clear. Chill out. No longer fight or flight. But there may be some problems with that long term, Dr. Bittar. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, one of the issues is that in an autistic child, the first thing we know is there's a toxicity issue going on, and the body's response to that toxicity um, is appropriate in the sense that it is registering what it's supposed to register that something is wrong. To give the body a false sense of security that, hey, calm down, there's nothing wrong here, is from a physiological standpoint not sound. Now, some people would say, well, of course it is. This is the reason we use anti-inflammatory drugs, because we don't want the increased inflammation to prevent the healing process. Yes, but when you use an anti-inflammatory drug, you cause other types of problems, like the inhibition of arachidonic acid and and all this other stuff downstream, and it causes ulcers, et cetera, et cetera. We won't get into all those details because we've talked about these things before in previous shows. Uh, Or steroids, the same thing. Well, we want to decrease the inflammation. We want to stop the immune response temporarily, yes, but now you're going to further inhibit an immune response. You're going to take a hyperimmune response and drive it to the opposite side 
to a hypoimmune response or to a non-response state, which is also not sound. If there was something that was out there that would allow the immune system to modulate, that takes a hyperimmune response and brings it to normal or hypoimmune response and brings it up to normal, I would be all for it. But they don't have anything like that. You've got something that it's, it's like having a thyroid, overactive thyroid. They go in there, they ablate it, they kill the thyroid. Now you've got a person that's hypothyroid. You know, it, it's insanity as far as I'm concerned. So we have to look at the implications of what we're doing. To be in a flight-fight response state for a child that's autistic, for their body, okay, yes, it would be better to calm them down, but to stop it, because it's gonna, it, it doesn't stop right at the place where it should be normal. It drives it down to the opposite extreme, which causes more problems. Right. So short-term benefit, we might acknowledge, maybe it is low toxicity due to the low dose, like low-dose naltrexone, but the long-term the rebalancing of the system, it's not accomplished by a drug. So it, it could be a short-sighted benefit better than what they've got so far, but we wouldn't be all in on something like this. Absolutely. And, in fact, I would also question, is some of the benefits that they're seeing really because of the temporary antiparasitic components? And the chances are it is. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, another leap in understanding here with Dr. Rasha Bittar. That's why we call it Advanced Medicine. Y'all check it out. If you missed the show or any part of it with Dr. Bittar each and every week, go to medicalrewind.com. We also have links at the show notes, robertscottbell.com. Dr. Bittar, great Memorial Day weekend acknowledging those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. So please tell them what they need to know before we got to go. That's it. You can do it. The power to heal is yours. Scott Bell Show. <laughs> Scott Bell Show. 